Thank you, Chris, for that prayer this morning. I really appreciate it. Before we begin this morning, I want to share with you two important announcements that I wanted to wait and do right before the message this morning. The first is on Sunday, January 14th. We're going to do something a little different um, in January. We're going to, we, elders and pastors work together, and we're going to set aside a Sunday every January to really focus on the importance of the Word of God, the importance of the Bible. So that Sunday morning, January 14th, we're going to have a special emphasis on the inerrancy, the inspiration of the Bible and why it is our sole authority for all faith and practice. Now that morning, the Gideons International is going to be with us. And what we're going to do this year is they're going to take 10 minutes, about 10 minutes for a ministry presentation. And then after that, I'm going to preach a message kind of accompanying that on the importance of the Bible, the importance of the Word of God. Then the next Sunday, really the next weekend, January 20th and 21st, very important for this church body. We are going to have Scott Klusendorf with us. Scott is one of the leading pro-life speakers in the entire nation, and we are so fortunate to have been able to schedule him for Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Scott is going to be here on Saturday, January 20th, to conduct a pro-life apologetic seminar right here at First Baptist from 9 in the morning until 1 in the afternoon. And he is going to train us. He's going to train us on how to talk about and defend the pro-life position. And we want to invite not only all of you and encourage all of you to come, but we want you to invite your friends, your family, and to invite other churches. We would love to see a big turnout for that apologetics training session on Saturday, January 20th. And then on the 21st, that Sunday morning, Scott will be bringing the morning message. So very important. You're going to hear a lot about it because we think it is so important. Well, this morning, I want to come back after a break for a series on Christmas. I want to come back to our series on the attributes of God. And this morning, we are looking at the foreknowledge of God, the foreknowledge of God. And Excuse me. As we've done throughout this series, we'll look at a number of different passages of Scripture, but the main passage I want us to look at is Isaiah 46 and verses 8 through 11. Isaiah chapter 46 and verses 8 through 11. And this is what we read. And this is the Lord speaking. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. 
calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Well, our first point this morning is foreknowledge. The foreknowledge of God is closely related to the omniscience of God. A number of weeks ago, we looked at the omniscience of God, the attribute of God that recognizes that God knows everything. In fact, if some of you may remember, you may not, but I used part of this same passage from Isaiah chapter 46. Now, there is a close relationship between the omniscience of God and the foreknowledge of God. Now, they are different, but they are very closely related. But that reminds me of something that I shared with you right at the very beginning of this sermon series, and that is the attributes of God cannot cannot be looked at in a cookie-cutter fashion. We can't say, well, God over here is holy, and over here he is love, and over here he is wisdom, and over here he is omnipotence. We, we just can't look at it like that. Rather, I shared with you in that introductory message that all of the attributes of God are like a beautiful woven tapestry. They are interconnected. All of God's attributes are connected to each other. It is so important for us to remember that. We simply look at, teach about, preach about the attributes of God to try and help us get some grasp of the immensity and majesty and transcendence and sovereignty of our great God. But those attributes are meshed together throughout Scripture. So if we say God is love, his love is a holy love. His love is a powerful love. His love is a wise love. We cannot separate those attributes. But the foreknowledge of God, as I mentioned, is very closely related to the fact that God is all-knowing, that he is omniscient. So I want to just review briefly with you the omniscience of God, and that hopefully will set the stage for understanding his foreknowledge. Omniscience means that God is all-knowing, and there is nothing that God does not know. By his omniscience, we mean God possesses all knowledge, all knowledge in his mind. He possesses infinite knowledge of the past, infinite knowledge of the present, and infinite knowledge of the future. God never learns anything. Nothing new ever enters God's mind. He never learns something new because he knows everything. Nothing ever suddenly dawns on God. Nothing ever catches him off guard. He knows all things in advance. He knows what we will say even before we say it. He knows all things eternally. He knows all things perfectly. He knows all things immediately. And he knows all things comprehensively. This is the omniscience of God. Now closely related to his omniscience 
is his foreknowledge, but it is slightly different. Biblically, foreknowledge means that God not only knows the future, but he is divinely guiding and directing the future according to his sovereign plan. Okay, you're going to hear me repeat that a number of times throughout this message, but foreknowledge means not only that God knows the future, but he is divinely guiding and directing the future according to his sovereign plan. So, let me tell you what foreknowledge does not mean. And this is very important this morning because this is often misunderstood by God's people. Foreknowledge does not mean that God looks down the tunnel of time to find out what's going to happen. Okay, there is a teaching out there in some segments of Christianity that teaches that God looks down the tunnel of the future, sees what's going to happen in the future, and then reacts to it. That God is, in essence, a kind of helpless being who has to react to what he sees in the future. And folks, that simply is an unbiblical teaching. Yes, God does see the future, But he not only sees the future, he is divinely directing and guiding the future according to his sovereign plan. One of the great sections on the foreknowledge of God is found right here in Isaiah chapter 46. Now in Isaiah chapter 46, the context is there is this great comparison between the idols of Babylon and the one true and living God. And in verse 8, again, as I mentioned, God is speaking here. God says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Pay attention. That's what he's saying. Pay attention, I am about to tell you something very important. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you sinful men and women, and that would include all of us. Verse 9, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Remember the former things of old. Remember how I guided Abraham. Remember how I brought the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. Remember how I I guided you through your wilderness wanderings. Remember how I have providentially blessed you throughout your history. Remember the former things of old. And remember this, I am God. And there is no other. There is no other God. There is not a plurality of deities. Remember, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. There is no one like me. And that is a beautiful thought and that is why. I am doing a series of messages on the attributes of God because there is no one like our God. 
But the most important verse is verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I declare, God says, the end from the beginning and from ancient times. I declare things that have not yet happened, things that have not yet been done. Now watch this. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. What I have determined for the future will happen. I will accomplish my purpose. Verse 11. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. If you study out this context and study this passage, not just in the context of the prophecy of Isaiah, but in the context of the entire New Testament, it is clear and there is universal agreement in all Bible commentaries that God here is referring to Cyrus, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. Now in the Medo, or when the Jews were taken into captivity into Babylon, they were under first Nebuchadnezzar, then Belshazzar, then Darius the Mede, when they conquered the Babylonians, and then came Cyrus the Persian, who reigned over the Medo-Persian Empire. And as you read the Old Testament, you find that God handpicked, designated Cyrus to be the man who would end the biblically prophesied 70-year captivity of the Israelites in Babylon, prophesied by Jeremiah the prophet. He decreed... Cyrus decreed an end to that 70 years of captivity and allowed a remnant of the Jews to return to their homeland in direct fulfillment of biblical prophecy. The previous three kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius, had tried to integrate the Jews into the Babylonian Empire But Cyrus decided to let ethnic peoples return to their homelands, and that included letting the Jewish people go back to Israel. And the Jewish people were so grateful to Cyrus for his decree that they referred to him as Cyrus the Great. But throughout the Old Testament, we see God saying, I raised up this man I directed him what to do. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. And then it says, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. At the end of verse 10, it says, My counsel shall stand And I will accomplish all my purpose. At the end of verse 11, it says, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Folks, that is the foreknowledge of God. That is what we mean by the foreknowledge of God. Well, our second point this morning is examples 
and praise. The Bible is filled with examples of God's sovereign rule and reign over future events. I'm going to give you four examples this morning. And as you listen to these four examples, you will realize you've understood and believed in foreknowledge more than you realized. You just perhaps didn't know it was called the foreknowledge of God. First example, the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ. God didn't look, just look down the tunnel of time and say, Oh, I guess that's when my son is going to be born. No, he planned it all. We just spent the last month here in December looking at the meticulous, intricate details surrounding the birth of Christ. Mary and Joseph, the wise men, the star that guided them, the angel Gabriel coming to Mary, the angel coming to Joseph. In Luke chapters 1 and 2, in Matthew chapter 2, in Micah chapter 5, in Isaiah chapter 9, we see that God planned specifically for the birth of Christ And as I have said, and many pastors have said over and over again, Christ was born right on time. And every detail was planned and arranged by God. He didn't just see it was going to happen. He planned it. He divinely guided and directed every single detail according to his sovereign plan. Galatians 4.4, a verse that I just shared with you last week. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. The fullness of time means at exactly the right time. God's people had waited hundreds and hundreds of years for the coming of the Messiah. But when the fullness of time had come, just the exact right time Jesus was born. That little phrase, the fullness of time, either in your mind or on a piece of paper or on your, in your Bible, write foreknowledge. That's what it means. In the foreknowledge of God, Christ was born at exactly the right time. Second example, the death of Christ. Again, God didn't just look down the tunnel of time and say, Oh, I guess that's when my son is going to die. No, he planned it all. He planned every detail. Even the sinful people involved were somehow mysteriously being used by the sovereign hand of God to bring about his purposes. Christ died right on time, exactly as God had planned it. In fact, two of the most important passages in the entire Bible on the foreknowledge of God are related to the death of Christ. Acts 2.23. This is Peter in his great sermon at Pentecost. And Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan 
and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Wow. This Jesus, who was delivered up to die, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That's it. That's what the foreknowledge of God means. And according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, he was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been arrested by the chief priests and elders of the people. They warned them, then they let them go. Then Peter and John come back to the church. And in Acts chapter 4, they lift up. It says they lifted their voices and prayed this great prayer, this amazing prayer. And this is what they pray. This is what they pray. For truly, they're saying, Oh God, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Now watch verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Wow. Herod, Pontius Pilate, all of this was carried out to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So, we see the foreknowledge of God in the birth of Christ, we see the foreknowledge of God in the death of Christ, and we see the foreknowledge of God in the return of Christ. Folks, he was born on time, he died on time, and he's going to come again right on time. Right on time. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this isn't on the screen, it is in verses 15 through 18, we have that great passage on the rapture of the church. Let me just read it for you. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, says this, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. I just want you to notice that, very important. This we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Do you know when the rapture is going to happen? Right on time. In God's time. And I have shared with you over and over again over the years that the rapture of the church is imminent. It means it could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen 50 years from now. We don't know, but we are to always be ready. 
but it has already been decreed by the sovereign foreknowledge of God. Fourth example, the rise and fall of kingdoms and the events of the end times. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel is interpreting a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And he makes this little statement in in this great interpretation. He says, God removes kings and sets up kings. Some of you have probably remember, memorized that. He removes kings and he sets up kings. God does. Throughout history and into the future, God removes kings and God sets up kings. And in Daniel chapter 10, there is this section where Daniel falls asleep and he has this great vision and an angel of the Lord comes to him. And it says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, this is the angel talking, withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Fascinating. Back in 2011, I preached through the entire book of Daniel. This is talking the prince of the kingdom of Persia. The kings of Persia that he's referring to are not human beings. They are demonic hierarchy. They are rulers within the demonic order under the complete control of Satan. And they were keeping him from getting to Daniel. But Michael came to his rescue. And so he says to Daniel... I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. And the angel gives Daniel prophecies, not about the near future, but about the far future. And it is amazing. Sometime just read through Daniel chapters 7 through 12. First six are good too. They're mainly about Daniel's life. But chapters 7 through 12 are amazing. Daniel is given a prophetic vision that is so accurate about the future that critics of the Bible to this day deny that Daniel actually wrote this. Because it is so accurate. He saw the coming of the Medo-Persian Empire. He saw the rise of the Greek Empire ruled by Alexander the Great. He saw saw the coming of the Roman Empire. He saw the last and great kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, which will crush and conquer all other kingdoms. He saw, Daniel saw the coming of the Antichrist, Daniel saw the coming of the seven years of tribulation. He saw it all. Do you know why? Because God's already planned it. It's all according to his foreknowledge. If you read Ezekiel chapters 37 through 39, you will find out about the future of Israel. And of course, if you go to the book of Revelation, especially chapters 6 through 22, you, as a mere mortal, can look into the future events of what's going to happen 
as much as we're able to understand, God has laid it out for us, unfolded it for us. And that is because, that is because God not only knows the future, he divinely guides and directs the future according to his sovereign plan. Folks, he's got it all planned out. So, how do we react to this? There are many other examples that we could give in the Bible, but I think that will help you as you study in the future. How are we to react? Even though we will never fully understand the foreknowledge of God, it should cause us to worship and praise our great God. Now, I want to admit to you this morning that there are aspects of the foreknowledge of God that are beyond our understanding. They simply are. God has the future laid out. But within that future divine sovereign plan, sinful men and women make choices. Political leaders make choices. Nations make choices. And within that sovereign divine plan of God, according to his foreknowledge, in the midst of that, our prayers make a difference. In fact, I believe our prayers make more of a difference than we will ever understand. And he does allow us to bring change through prayer in certain areas, in certain circumstances. And prayer does make a difference. It makes a huge difference. So I don't understand all of that. And in theology, we talk about the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. There are some things that are unchangeable. They are his perfect will. And there are some things that he allows in his permissive will. We see that. We know it's true, though we, in our finiteness and sinfulness, simply can't comprehend it fully. But I want every single one of us this morning to know this. If God is not in control of the future, we're in deep trouble. Okay? If God is not in control of the future, we are all in deep trouble. Tomorrow begins another new year. Hard to believe. We will enter into 2024 tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. You don't know what's going to happen in your life. We don't know what's going to happen in this church. We don't know what's going to happen in this nation. We don't know what's going to happen around the world. But I will tell you, God will be in control. He will be in control next year, and we can trust him. Let me say one more time, God's foreknowledge means that he not only knows the future, but he is divinely guiding and directing the future according to his sovereign plan. Praise the Lord. He is ruling and reigning over the present and the future. Praise the Lord. Sinful men and women will never stop the sovereign plan of God. 
No matter how bad things may seem around us, they will never, ever stop the sovereign plan of God. Praise the Lord. All the prophecies of the Bible about the rapture, the tribulation, the visible return of Christ, which Pastor Mike just read about this morning, the millennial kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth, all of them. All of those prophecies will be fulfilled and they will be fulfilled right on time. It's guaranteed. This is the foreknowledge of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your foreknowledge. Thank you that we can completely trust you for the future. Help us not to be afraid. As we enter a new year, help us not to be afraid, but to be a people of great hope and courage. May your name be praised. Fill our hearts. Fill our hearts with worship and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.